morning, Julie. Yes, I know we are. We're doing a little behind the scenes chat yet still. <laughs> it's all family, right? So we're getting to see how it all works. Like, good morning, all. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Brian Leanne. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, Gwen, all the way from Brittany, you've got an internet back and you're able to join us. That's very exciting. Glad that we can stay connected despite the literal ocean between us. Good morning, Susan. It's great for folks. Uh, you think about whether you would like your welcomes to go just to the panelists, because I'm seeing a lot of those, or if you would like to say hello to all the attendees as well, set your chat setting to all panelists and attendees um, so that folk, folks can say who. Um, um, folks can say, say hello across the, across the space and time to each other. It's nice to know that we are gathering together and being here. Good morning, Abby and John and knitting. <laughs> and more days to go, Jeff reminds us. Yes, indeed, indeed. We are, good morning, Perry. Great to have everyone here. Yes, for good afternoon, Gwen. <laughs> Pair, yes, indeed, Gwen is with us uh, from Brittany, which is very exciting. And we're delighted to have everyone here. We love it when folks let us know, especially when you're not near at hand. It's our vicarious travel that we get to do these days by knowing where other folks are. Good morning, Donna. And uh, good morning, Sonia and Christine and Shirley. Good morning, indeed. Please go ahead and say hello in the chat, either, you know, ideally to all panelists and attendees. I encourage you to get uh, a candle so that you're uh, able to light your candle at home along with our collective candle lighting and a beverage of choice and settle into a comfy seat. Good morning, Elaine. Yes, indeed, it is beautiful to see the sunlight this morning. Good morning. Susan, Theo, and Walter. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, telephone number. I'm afraid I don't know who that is. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Jonathan. We are delighted that everyone is coming in this morning. We'll give another, another minute or two as folks gather. Again, it's a great time to get your beverage and your candle, get, a, get settled into a seat that supports you and is comfortable. Good morning, Margaret and Lauren. Glad that you are all here this morning. If we have any folks that are visitors, we'd love to hear a hello from you as well. We are most delighted you're with us. And for folks that maybe from another ethical society or some other place not in the DMV area, we'd love to hear about where you're joining us from. Indeed, Margaret, it is good to be able to come together after what a tumultuous week.
Good morning, Stacy. Good to be a visitor from DC as well. We're really glad you join us. <laughs> Good morning, Sarah. John Jacob. I guess, John, your note that uh, we're going to start counting the new year and the new administration. Yes, Laura. Good morning, Laura. Yes, I know. DMV and VA is the other way it gets named, right? Motor Vehicle Administration. You can tell where people are from by what they call that place you go to get your driver's license stuff sorted out. <laughs> Good morning, Richard. Uh, Columbusian. I'm not sure what you name yourself when you're from Columbus, Ohio. Um, but a Tar Heel and relocating DC soon. That's excellent. We will are delighted to welcome you virtually today and look forward to a day when we can greet you in person in, in real time and space. Very, very pleased that you're with us, Richard. <clears throat> I think I'll say a last reminder to folks if you want to get your candle ready for a candle lighting that will come up shortly and your beverage of choice and settle in and I think we'll begin in just another moment. Good morning, Michael. Well, it's so good to be together. Good morning. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Lynn Cox. You can use they, them pronouns for me. I'm the interim leader here. Today's platform is about coming to terms with the national events of this past week and discerning what our values lead us to do next. Opening words are adapted from Sherry Woodbury. Here we are in our circle again, a circle of vision and reflection a forum for deciding and empowering. Here we are at the base of another bridge, another space spanning the shores of today and tomorrow, beckoning us to cross the chasm one day at a time. Here we are gathered again at the cusp of the future, at the boundary that holds community together. We are here in a circle of love and trust brought to this moment by a series of choices and promises, by hope and gratitude, by our own shadows, faced and befriended. With a helper's heart, with a leader's listening, with a parent's love, truer than all our inner trembling, let us model the health we seek for all and lean into community. Somewhere out there, all we dream is possible. Somewhere in here, we are sowing the seeds. Let us gather together. We begin today's platform with music from our interim music coordinator, Leah Morris, performing I Shall Not Be Moved.
Welcome once again to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Karen schofield Laka. My pronouns are per and per, short for person, and I'm today's officiant. Visitors, we especially welcome you from near and far. We hope that you'll say hello in the chat and that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, at maceot at ethicalsociety.org. That's M, like Mary, M-A-C-E-O-T at ethicalsociety.org. You can also fill out a connection form and Maceo has just put that into the chat. And we hope that you'll join us after the platform service for a chance to say hello. Our chat is going to stay open for much of the platform service, closing during the address itself and then reopening. And so if you do not want to see the chat, this is a good time to minimize it. Our statement of purpose reminds us of our shared values. And if you would like to help read our statement of purpose at a future platform, please sign up at tiny.cc slash read SOP. And this week we had uh, someone was lined up but has having technical difficulties this morning. And I think we might have another person standing in, but I'm not sure that we sorted out their technology. So, so you're on. Excellent. <laughs> okay, so um, I, you can please join me as I read um, the words of our statement of purpose. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. And if you have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thanks, Karen. This true story comes to us from John Lewis, a great leader in this nation who died in July of 2020. He served in the US House of Representatives from Georgia's fifth congressional district from 1987 until his death. Many people were sad to lose Representative Lewis and thankful for all that he has done to bring about justice in our nation. This story was adapted from his book, Walking with the Wind, by my colleague, the Reverend Karen Johnston. Representative Lewis had lived a long and full life asking of himself and asking of all of us to show up for justice, to do what we can and just a little bit more to make sure there was more fairness in our country. John Lewis grew up in a large family and he would spend time with his aunts or uncles, his siblings or cousins. There were many children in the neighborhood and they would play together. And this was long before the pandemic, so people could play together and hang out together. Representative Lewis tells about a time when he was playing outside his aunt Seneva's house with about 14 other children. 
when a storm, a big storm arrived, a kind of storm that made him very afraid. So I'm gonna tell the story from his perspective and it's like he's talking. So when I say I, I'm really talking about Congressman John Lewis. Aunt Seneva was the only adult around and as the sky blackened and the wind grew stronger, she herded us all inside. Her house was not the biggest place around and it seemed even smaller with so many children squeezed inside. Small and surprisingly quiet. All of the shouting and laughter that had been going on earlier outside had stopped. The wind was howling now and the house was starting to shake. We were scared. Even Aunt Seneva was scared. And then it got worse. Now the house was beginning to sway. The wood plank flooring beneath us began to bend. And then a corner of the room started lifting up. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. None of us could. The storm was actually pulling the house toward the sky with us inside it. And that was when Aunt Seneba told us to clasp hands. Line up and hold hands, she said, and we did as we were told. Then she had us walk as a group toward the corner of the room that was rising. From the kitchen to the front of the house, we walked with the wind screaming outside, sheets of rain beating on the tin roof. Then we walked back in the other direction as another end of the house began to lift. And so it went back and forth, 15 children walking with the wind, holding that trembling house down with the weight of our small bodies. Can you imagine what it was like to be inside that house, afraid that it might fall all apart from the destructive force of the wind and the rain from the whole storm? I'm so glad that John Lewis wasn't alone and that he was there with friends and family. And I'm so glad they figured out a way to work together. When John Lewis was much older and he was writing down the story of his whole astounding life, he wrote these words. More than half a century has passed since that day. And it has struck me more than once over those many years that our society is not unlike the children in that house, rocked again and again by the winds of one storm or another, the walls around us seeming at times as if they might fly apart. It seemed that way in the 1960s at the height of the civil rights movement when America itself felt as if it might burst at the seams. So much tension, so many storms, but the people of conscience never left the house. They never ran away, they stayed. They came together and they did the best they could, clasping hands and moving toward the corner of the house that was the weakest. And then another corner would lift and we would go there. And eventually, inevitably, the storm would settle and the house would still stand. But we knew another storm would come and we would have to do it all over again. And we did. And we still do, all of us, you and I, children holding hands, walking with the wind. So ends the story. Thank you for listening. As we consider the winds around us and the people with whom we move, let's enter into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of the fragility and resilience of our democracy and buoyed by the significant success of Georgia voters, 
the fruit of years of persistent grassroots coalition building. I also hold in care the family and friends of Naomi Liefer Schulteis, who died of ovarian cancer on Thursday. Naomi was director of ethical education here at West for six years back in the 1990s. And so we hold all of her beloveds in care. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now to take a breath for inspiration and release. So breathe in and out. While breathing, attend to the feeling of your in-breath, the pause and out-breath. Open your mind, heart, and body to the serenity that has been so hard to find in these recent days. As you need to adjust your posture to find ease, you can close your eyes and soften your gaze and breathe. Scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann reminds us that, quote, imagination is a danger, thus every totalitarian regime is frightened of the artist. It is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on conjuring and proposing alternative futures to the single one the king wants us, wants to urge as the only thinkable one, end quote. We are sorely challenged and thus urgently called to imagine a better future. Hold in your mind and heart just one piece of imagination. Perhaps you imagine peace or abundance. Perhaps you imagine love and justice applied to immigration policy. Perhaps you imagine equity and racial justice. Perhaps you imagine a time when we can again sing together songs of freedom and hope. You don't need to imagine a whole world or how we'll get there even just now, just one piece of it. Hold your piece of imagination in your mind as we breathe together in and out. Let us breathe out, blowing the winds of change. Let us breathe in together. And let us breathe out together.
we continue our meditation in imaginative silence. to keep your heart wide open till your faith brings you back to solid ground. So more wisdom from John Lewis this morning, the civil rights leader and congressman who died in July 17, 2020, and wrote this essay shortly before his death. Together, you can redeem the soul of our nation. Well, my time here has now come to an end. I want you to know that in the last days and hours of my life, you inspired me. You filled me with hope about the next chapter of the great American story when you used your power to make a difference in our society. Millions of people motivated by simply by human compassion laid down the burdens of division. Around the country and the world, you set aside race, class, age, language, and nationality to demand respect for human dignity. 
That is why I had to visit Black Lives Matter Plaza in Washington, though I was admitted to the hospital the following day. I just had to see and feel it for myself that after many years of silent witness, the truth is still marching on. Emmett Till was my George Floyd. He was my Richard Brooks, Sandra Bland, and Breonna Taylor. He was 14 when he was killed, and I was only 15 years old at the time. I will never ever forget the moment when it became so clear that he could easily have been me. In those days, fears constrained us like an imaginary prison and troubling thoughts of potential brutality committed for no understandable reason were the bars. Though I was surrounded by two loving parents, plenty of brothers, sisters, and cousins, their love could not protect me from the unholy oppression waiting just outside that family circle. Unchecked, unrestrained violence and government-sanctioned terror had the power to turn a simple stroll to the store from some Skittles or an innocent morning jog down a lonesome country road into a nightmare. If we are to survive as one unified nation, we must discover what so readily takes root in our hearts that could rob Mother Emanuel Church in South Carolina of her brightest and best, shoot unwitting concert goers in Las Vegas, and choke to death the hopes and dreams of a gifted violinist like Elijah McLean. Like so many young people today, I was searching for a way out, or some might say a way in. And then I heard the voice of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on an old radio. He was talking about the philosophy and discipline of nonviolence. He said, we are all complicit when we tolerate injustice. He said, it is not enough to say it will get better by and by. He said, each of us has a moral obligation to stand up, speak up, and speak out. When you see something that is not right, you must say something. You must do something. Democracy is not a state. It is an act, and each generation must do its part to help build what we call the beloved community a nation and world society at peace with itself. Ordinary people with extraordinary vision can redeem the soul of America by getting in what I call good trouble, necessary trouble. Voting and participating in the democratic process are key. The vote is the most powerful nonviolent change agent you have in a democratic society. You must use it because it is not guaranteed. You can lose it. You must also study and learn the lessons of history because humanity has been involved in this soul-wrenching existential struggle for a very long time. People on every continent have stood in your shoes through decades and centuries before you. The truth does not change, and that is why the answers worked out long ago can help you find solutions to the challenges of our time. Continue to build union between movements stretching across the globe because we must put away our willingness to profit from the exploitation of others. Though I may not be here with you, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. In my life, I have done all I can to demonstrate the way of peace. The way of love and nonviolence is the more excellent way. 
Now it is your turn to let freedom ring. When historians pick up their pens to write the story of the 21st century, let them say that it was your generation who laid down the heavy burdens of hate at last, and that peace finally triumphed over violence, aggression, and war. So I say to you, walk with the wind, brothers and sisters, and let the spirit of peace and the power of everlasting love be your guide. Thanks, Karen. Congressman John Lewis reminds us what is possible when we join together combining our collective action and sense of purpose to keep our country grounded in our best and highest ideals. His final instructions to us were walk with the wind, to stay together and respond to the movement of our time in the spirit of peace and with the power of love. And that is what is happening in Georgia. This past week, we learned that Georgia will have two new senators. The Reverend Raphael Warnock will be the first black senator from the state, which is about a third of the population is black. The congregation Reverend Warnock leads Ebenezer Baptist Church is the former pulpit of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It is also the congregation that Representative Lewis attended. John Ossoff will be the first Jewish center from Georgia. Ossoff interned with Representative John Lewis as a young man after having written him a fan letter when Ossoff was 16 years old. Relationships built over years make a difference. Regardless of political party, we can agree that democracy depends on the ability of citizens to exercise their right to vote. True democracy rests on the free and fair elections in which obstacles to the right to vote have not been placed unfairly and disproportionately in front of voters from marginalized communities. The runoff election in Georgia was historic not only because of the outcome, but because of the momentous turnout. Overcoming voter suppression was a major task, one that grassroots organizations in Georgia have been working on for years. Multiracial democracy is a threat to white supremacy. And white supremacy has been trying to prevent the full flowering of multiracial democracy from the beginning. Yet there is progress. Since 2018, 800,000 new people between 2018 and the November election, 800,000 people registered to vote in Georgia. Registering and mobilizing new voters is the big story of this election, and that was achieved one conversation at a time, one knocked on door at a time, one phone call at a time, one relationship at a time. Stacey Abrams is a strategic genius and a focused advocate, having started the New Georgia Project seven years ago and Fair Fight two years ago. And Abrams will be the first to tell you that a wide variety of leaders and grassroots organizations share the credit for voter turnout in this election. For instance, Latasha Brown has been fighting voter suppression since 1998. And her Black Voters Matter project helped mobilize voters across the South. 
In a series of tweets on Friday, Abrams named 30 different grassroots organizations that coordinated their efforts to help Georgians exercise their right to vote, noting that the runoff election was a demonstration of decades of strategy, grit, and building. Between Representative Lewis's reminder about clasping hands and moving together and the turnout in Georgia's runoff election, our takeaway should not be limited to admiration for the most visible leaders and candidates and public officials. We can and should admire their good character traits and their dedication to service. We can and should thank movement leaders who made it possible, especially black women. But we should not elevate these officials and movement leaders to the point where we regard them as something other than human, an example too rarefied for us to follow. The lesson here is that organizing is happening all around us. Can coordinated solidarity to enact structural change for liberation is part of how we bring the full promise of multiracial democracy into being. There may well be someone like Stacey Abrams in the movements that you're part of or at your workplace or in your neighborhood. Let's listen. There are definitely organizations in our own communities being led by the people who are most impacted by marginalization. We can follow the example that has been set out for us by supporting power building and relationship building that is already happening locally. Grassroots organizing takes a long time. It requires a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations, very little in the way of immediate results and broad participation that that path is available to any of us. Nobody has to be a superstar to participate in repairing the soul of our nation. We contrast the progress in building multiracial democracy in Georgia to the violent attempt to destroy multiracial democracy that happened on January 6th. Because this platform is being recorded for posterity, I feel that I have to be very clear about the events of this week Please take care of yourself if a reminder of those events is overwhelming for you. On Wednesday, at the urging of their demagogue, white supremacist insurrectionists invaded the Capitol building, threatened the safety of elected leaders and staff, looted the building, and left chaos in their wake for others to clean up, primarily janitors and facility staff who are people of color. They were not merely rascals ignoring the rules of orderly protest. They were an armed mob seeking to disrupt the practice of democracy. Computers were stolen, putting our national security at risk. Five people died, including an officer from the Capitol Police. In our community, I know we are holding intense emotions about this incident. I'm particularly mindful of the impact that this has on those who work for the federal government, for whom the area around the Capitol is an everyday environment, a place full of memories and colleagues. My heart also goes out to those who live near the Capitol who had to deal with armed white supremacists wandering the neighborhood unimpeded. To anyone who has ever been treated roughly by the Capitol Police for nonviolently exercising their First Amendment rights, the lack of resistance to the mob may not have been surprising, but it was yet another insult. A reminder that the level of force with which police respond to protesters is a choice. 
for people of color, queer people, Muslim people, Jewish people, immigrants, or anyone who holds an identity targeted for violence by these insurrectionists. Wednesday's events were a chilling show of power that was precisely intended to make us feel afraid for existing as our whole selves. We cannot let that fear stop us from living fully, nor prevent us from preserving and persevering in the work of liberation. On Wednesday night, I invited the West community to gather by Zoom to process the day's events, to overcome the numbness of trauma by feeling our feelings, and to lift up our shared values in a way that only a community like ours can do. It was short notice, and I apologize if you didn't hear about it in time. Please reach out if you'd like to talk to me or to a member of the Pastoral Care Associates about how you're feeling. More than 20 of you were able to attend. And just from that sample, I know that there are feelings of rage, worry, disgust, helplessness, disappointment, and confusion. There are also feelings of readiness, of curiosity about what to do next, relief about the Georgia election, and even optimism that there are long deferred actions for repair that can take place with the new Congress. Emotions are what they are, and they will be affected by your previous experiences with oppression, trauma, and violence. Feel your feelings, and please know that you don't have to be in those feelings alone. The violence on January 6th was designed to reinforce white supremacy. It was a reaction to the expansion of multiracial democracy fed by the shock of what racist white people that the votes of people who are black, indigenous and people of color were allowed to have an impact. White people have been told since the moment Europeans arrived on this continent that the land and its abundance and the benefits of government are for ourselves, that white people own this country and that that is unassailable no matter what happens to the bodies, voices, and lives of those who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color. This worldview is gravely harmful and wrong. The incredulity with which the insurrectionists faced the results of the 2020 election, urged on by politicians who capitalize on their racism, is rooted in the belief that only white votes are legitimate. Their invasion of the people's house was meant to mark their territory, to show that their ownership remains primary and that they can and will use violence to maintain that ownership. White supremacist violence as an attempt to overturn the results of multiracial democracy is not new and it has worked before. We all have choices ahead of us to reduce the chances that this tactic will continue to work. One avenue is to confront and dismantle white supremacy in all of the ways it shows up around us. For those who have been the targets of racism their whole lives, simply living and thriving is an act of resistance. For those of us who were socialized as white, the construction of a wall of ignorance around the machinations of white supremacy is part of how the system operates. For those of us who are raised with barriers to perceiving racism, let's not wait another moment before removing those barriers and taking action to uproot racism. We saw again this week how deadly white supremacy can be. It shows up in the minds and hearts of well-meaning people 
and in the institutional practices of well-meaning communities. It shows up in the decisions of governments from the level of homeowners associations to the US Congress. It shows up in art and music and literature. We don't have to look far to find a place to begin uprooting racism. For all of us, the outpouring of voter empowerment in Georgia reminds that there is room for everyone in expanding multiracial democracy. And the work on voter empowerment isn't over. There are laws being proposed in state legislatures across the country right now to prevent the kind of turnout we saw this year. Another thing we can do is insist that the threat of white supremacy, the threat of violent white supremacy is real and that we should take it seriously. Perhaps that seems obvious after this week, but we're already seeing efforts to humanize, sanitize and excuse the perpetrators of destruction. News articles about insurrectionists who died emphasize their good qualities or their accomplishments instead of their criminal records. An obvious departure from the media treatment of racial justice activists and those who have been murdered by police. Jokes about the perpetrators seem to imply that they are too stupid to be held responsible. Calls to understand their pain and excuse their racism rely on stereotypes that are demonstrably untrue. Exhortations to move on without practicing accountability reinforce the idea that harm caused by white people should be consequence free. White supremacy is and always has been a threat to our national security and national well being. And the sooner we recognize and address that, the better. Failing to take white supremacy seriously contributed to our vulnerability to Wednesday's events. Racist militia groups have been allowed to grow and thrive for years when anti-racist groups have been infiltrated, sabotaged and undermined with outrageous punishments and mysterious deaths. After the Charlottesville event where Heather Heyer was murdered, nothing happened to reduce the potential for future right-wing violence. The Capitol Police knew that the crowds planned for Wednesday were likely to be dangerous. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal said, Jayapal, excuse me, Congressman Pramila Jayapal said, we were all aware of the danger. 10 days ago, Maxine Waters had raised the issue of our security on a caucus call to the speaker and asked what the plans would be. And 48 hours before we had gotten instructions from the Capitol Police about all the threats, that we had to be on high alert, that we had to get to the Capitol by 9 a.m. before the protesters, that we couldn't plan on going out, that we should have overnight bags. It was very clear and everyone understood what the threats were. Representative Jayapal points out that the discrepancy between what the members of Congress were told about impending events and how the Capitol Police were prepared on the outside of the building, whether failing to have adequate staff or backup or hard barriers was a result of underestimating the threat or of deliberate collusion or both. The lack of preparedness is a product of white supremacy. When we recognize the enormity of the problem, we are led to work on systemic solutions. At a symposium yesterday, award-winning peacemaker and spiritual care activist Najiba Saeed spoke about the myth of interpersonal peacemaking and how it can be a distraction and a derailment of the systemic justice making that provides the foundation for authentic lasting peace. 
trying to understand and relate to Nazis does not yield systemic change. Attempting to de-radicalize loved ones is another project, but it's not the same thing as building a multiracial democracy or expanding liberation. Professor Saeed reminded us that peace is not the absence of violence, peace is the absence of injustice. In a week with so many low points, even as we notice the high points, it is understandable to feel disoriented. I have said before that hope is doing the next right thing, working toward a better world, even when the outcome is not assured or even clear. Yet, if our sense of reality was turned upside down this week, or if you were overwhelmed with an experience or a reminder of trauma, maybe the next right thing is especially elusive right now. In that case, the next right thing is to take care of yourself. Drink water, eat nourishing food, maybe go outside at some point during the day. Talk to people who care about you. The movement will still be there, when you have regained a sense of the ground underneath you. You are a precious being of worth. Another next right thing is to check up on each other. Remember your federal employee friends, follow up on a caring news email. If you're reaching out to someone who might be having a hard time, you might ask, is it okay if I ask how you are? Let's not try not to make people feel obligated to relive negative experiences if they're not ready. Just being present is helpful, or it can be. Even if we can't fix anything, we can give people the option not to be alone in their grief. Checking on each other will help us to be more prepared for the next crisis, whatever that may be. If you have a little more energy and want to channel your feelings into positive actions, consider something that will have a material impact on your local community. Rachel Markowitz was telling me about mutual aid in Washington, DC, especially in Ward 5. For information about mutual aid throughout the district, check the website for Bread for the City or find them on Facebook. I also checked in with Dana Pope, who is involved with mutual aid in Silver Spring Tacoma Park. You can find them on their WordPress site and on Facebook. If you are involved with mutual aid, you're welcome to mention that during community sharing or post in the members Facebook group later. Rachel tells me mutual aid is a non-hierarchical way for neighbors to help neighbors. Anyone can ask for any kind of assistance and anyone can offer help. Some roles require training and learning codes of ethics and responsible service. It's not a particularly formal or organized thing. It's all hands on deck and everyone is just doing their best. Rachel went on to say that there are short-term and long-term roles and those who are able can donate anytime. If you're wondering what this has to do with dismantling white supremacy, building relationships with your neighbors both is and is not about a larger goal. Building relationships with neighbors is a primary good. It's something that's valuable and satisfying to do for its own sake. Similarly, offering care when you can and giving people a chance to practice care when you need it are both good, full stop. Neighbors helping neighbors is a form of resistance to oppressive structures. In addition, neighbors who have strong bonds with each other are in a better position to advocate for their communities. If you and your neighbors are working to overcome environmental racism where you live or redirect funding to basic human services, 
or remove policies in the local school that have a negative impact on students of color, you will have a head start if you already know each other. This could be its whole own platform, so I'll pause there and just say that strong, connected, diverse local communities can be a manifestation of multiracial democracy and a home base for even more positive change. Forming authentic relationships with our neighbors, community organizing, building power, caring for ourselves and each other. These are some of the tools with which we will resist white supremacy and build multiracial democracy. This way is slow and it is often hard and it works. Growing multiracial democracy is a constant practice. Representative Lewis reminded us that democracy is not a state. When white supremacy attempts to use violence to enforce a warped and harmful vision of who we should be and how we should be together, one of our avenues for resistance is renewing our commitments to communities living into a vision of justice and wholeness. That can mean your local mutual aid society. It can mean a project like the Food Justice Initiative. It can mean a coalition like the Washington Interfaith Network or the Congregation Action Network. It can mean a voting rights organization like Fair Fight. It can mean a community like Wes. A better world is possible. There are pockets of it already living and moving among us and around us and within us. Clasping hands, figuratively for now, traveling together with the winds of our time, let us gather our collective strength to stay grounded in a vision of the world that is possible. May it be so. After some music, we'll have community sharing time when you can write into the chat about what resonated with you today. A framing question might help spark a memory of a personal experience or your direct observation. It's like a writing prompt, you can use it or not. What values are you holding on to? This is one of the questions we asked on Wednesday night and it bears repeating. What values are holding on to? What is the deepest calling of your heart? What are the commitments of your life that you're holding on to? As we contemplate, rest, and reflect, let us experience the beauty of the musical response. In the state of Alabama, during the early 60s, in the mid 60s, there were several hundred thousand of black people of voting age, but very few were registered to vote. As a matter of fact, in the part of the black belt in Selma, a small town in Alabama that had only about 2.1% of the black people of voting age registered in 1965. Uh, today in Selma, more than 70% of the blacks of voting age are registered to vote, and five members of a 10-member city council happen to be black. Well, in Greene County, Alabama, during the early 60s, very few blacks were registered, but today that county is controlled by blacks. The highest elected official of the county is a young man, uh, Thomas Gilmore, who is the sheriff. Stand up.
and make good trouble. Speak up and make good trouble. Get up and make good trouble. Rise up and make good trouble. Stand up and make good trouble. Speak up and make good trouble. Get up and make good trouble. Rise up and make good trouble. Stand up and make good trouble. Speak up and make good trouble. Get up and make good trouble. Rise up and make good trouble. Never, never be afraid to make some noise. Make some noise. Never, never be afraid to make some noise. Make some noise. This is the struggle, the struggle of a lifetime. Makes good troubles. This is the struggle, the struggle of a lifetime. Make good troubles. This is the struggle, the struggle of a lifetime. Make good troubles. This is the struggle, the struggle of a lifetime. Make good troubles. So you tell us to wait. You tell us to be patient. We cannot wait. We cannot be patient. We want our freedom and we want it now. Indeed. This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. You may consider the framing question that Lynn posed just a bit ago. What values are you holding on to? I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or Facebook comments. And I'll try and keep up with uh, and share some of the things that you all post about the values and how to make good trouble. Perry Bider notes that one of his core values is that all people should be treated fairly and with dignity. His current effort on this front is to lobby representatives in Annapolis on four bills promoted by CASA to improve justice for immigrants in Maryland. Ken and Carol Rowe, note how moving this has been. Um, and the United States is still a country of United States. Bonnie says truth, compassion, and integrity. Emily says nonviolence. Jeff notes, if the events of the past week are a wounding of the nation, the calls for healing are if you're premature. One has to clean the wound before healing can begin. To Adrizen's holding on to nonviolence, anti-racism, and integrity. 
Sarah's persistence, I think of what was said about Senator Warren. She was warned and yet she persisted. Yes, yeah, indeed. Yes, Jeff is exactly right that we can't, no, no rush to uh, smooth things over. This is all about the good trouble and the turmoil and how we address it. Elizabeth Susan is powerful, powerful, powerful. I'm reminded when even one person can make a difference. Every grassroots organizations are made up of individual people holding hands and move with the wind. I just, I just so am moved by that, that story, that metaphor and the power of those words from John Lewis. Abby says, um, keep reaching out while being thoughtful about where I spend my energy. Indeed, so self-care amidst systemic response, both important and necessary for the long-term change. Margaret, keeping those most impacted at the center, those most harmed by the white supremacy on display this week. Jonathan, I'm holding on to the desire for true democracy, nonviolence, and anti-racism. Harder is not being overtaken by anger for the terrorists and those who inspired them. Sue says, moving our country to the democracy, it must be a place where all are safe. Elaine's thoughts go back to 1994 when Rodney King said, why can't we all just get along? And to Mother Teresa who said of movements, tell me when you are marching, what you are for, and I'll be there. Peter says, the call to concentrate on making real personal relationships with people of color is something I've found a helpful challenge. But as curious as what answers I can find that apply to me, the answers are different for each of us as unique individuals. And indeed, we are each called to do our own particular part, play that role as only we each can. Very much to ponder in the days and weeks and years to come for this work. Perry Biner noting, this isn't locally focused, but the Southern Poverty Law Center is a valuable organization because of its work tracking and spotlighting white supremacists and other hate groups nationwide. And its teaching tolerance program is a wonderful effort to reduce the transmission of hate to the next generation. Yes. Lynn noted, because it particularly related to some comments earlier, the text for today's address will be posted in the member section of the website. And it has links that will be very helpful for us to refer back to and to explore and help guide our future actions. Thank you for Lynn. Laura Tyler, among of our many Laura's said, I had to log in to say that I saw the events of the week as the obvious next thing coming. Many complacent people with their hands in the cookie jar or heads in the sand, taking best advantage of hate. I am angry, but not surprised. Yes, indeed. And Vincent says, being black, I was angry by the way Black Lives Matter was treated as opposed to the way the police treated white supremacists. It was not that I wanted the police to shoot them like they shoot us. It's what that I want the police not to shoot us like they didn't shoot them. Yeah, no shooting, no shooting. That would be a, a positive step for sure. <sighs> so many feelings all together, all real. Indeed, it is good to be able to share them with each other, to process together, 
to check in with each other, to care for each other, to find our ways to each act individually. Thank you for continuing to do that. Continue to share in the coffee hour that will come. Continue to share through the members' Facebook page. Um, reach out to your neighbors. Explore and support together. And just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. As we prepare for the collection, I'd like to repeat our welcome to visitors. We invite you to be our guest today and ask our visitors not to feel pressured by the collection. We appreciate each person's generous giving as they are able. This month, half of the offering is dedicated to the Food Justice Initiative, FJI, which distributes food and essential products to struggling families in DC, Maryland, and Virginia. FJI began as part of the Sanctuary DMV network, which Wes has participated in for four years. The pandemic has raged through immigrant and working class communities in our area. FJI has provided tens of thousands of time critical meals to our neighbors in Langley Park, Silver Spring, Northern Virginia, and DC. In November alone, FJI distributed 70,000 pounds of produce through our partner, the Capital Area Food Bank. FJI is all volunteer, so every dollar that we receive goes directly to food for our neighbors, many of whom have been left out of government COVID relief efforts. It's going to be a long winter, and so please give generously to those who need it most. You'll see we have a text give by text option to the number on the screen, which is 202-335-1885. And you can also make a gift online through the donate button on our website at ethicalsociety.org or visit tiny.cc slash gives. We will now receive your gifts and the musician's gifts of music. As for me and my house, you'll find us serving peace. As for me and my house, you'll find us serving peace. As for me and my house, you'll find us serving peace. Peace for all right now. As for me and my house, you'll find us serving truth. As for me and my house, you will find us serving truth. As for me and my house, you will find us serving truth, truth for all right now. As for me and my house, you will find us serving love. As for me and my house, you will find us serving love. As for me and my house, you will find us serving love. serving truth as for me 
in my house, you will find us right now. Thank you for your support and thank you to Leah for that song. <clears throat> in the spirit of sharing, there is one more thing to share from our members to our members. This is about our music programs. As we're thinking about how we connect with each other safely, the music program is one way we can be together at a distance. Our music programs and everything else we do together is supported by your pledges and gifts to us. We're pleased to premiere this video by Josh Blinder. Together singing, when shall we come together? We shall come together now. I've always loved music and I've always loved singing and that's just my world is surrounded by it. And anyone at West can walk up to whomever the music director is and say, I want to be part of the music program and they will say, yes. Once you're in that groove, you're part of something else. It's easy to let it ring out. The music is an important piece of the Sunday experience at West. I've been in the chorus through many chorus directors, and over the years, I've found it to be a place where I can express a lot of joy. People connect to music and hear songs with a message and that have meaning and that moves them. And I like to be part of creative expression that moves other people. How shall we come together? We shall come together singing. When shall we come together? We shall come together now. I will reinforce Julie's uh, words that anyone can absolutely join into the chorus as well. So we appreciate everyone's support of Wes and all its many programs with your gifts. And uh, we welcome everyone to join in specifically um, to uh, be part of the singing. It, uh, it is indeed a very joyous, wonderful thing to do and all are welcomed. I want to say thank you to Josh, too, for that great video and to the many people who helped to create this morning's time together. Uh, certainly interim music coordinator Liam Morris, who has his Peter notes been indeed serving us very well. Thank you to Maceo Thomas, our membership coordinator, and to Robin Kravitz for communication support and um, hosting our coffee hour, which will come up shortly. I want to say a special thank you to Jen Watson, who created our slides and who is going to be stepping down from that role at the end of this month, but she will be delighted to teach anyone else how to do what she has been doing so beautifully for us um, that would like to take the task over. So please reach out to Lynn or to Jen if you would be interested in um, employing your uh, gifts and support of Wes in that way. And thank you to tech host John Liga. Um, and to those who are leading and supporting our work in the week to come. 
At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for a virtual coffee hour. And once we're in the Zoom coffee hour space, we'll divide into breakout groups for small group social chatting when you can actually see each other, which is really delightful. Um, to get to coffee hour after closing words, point your browser to tiny.cc slash West Coffee Hour, and we'll post that information again and when we finish. Um, for those who have been joining us for some time and want to engage more deeply in our community, a path to membership program cohort begins on January 31st, and Maceo can tell you all about it, so please um, indicate in the chat or send an email to Maceo to indicate that you're interested and he can get you all connected. Next week, please join us right back here at 10.30 a.m. for Platform. On the weekend when we re remember the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we'll also highlight others who have dreamed of new worlds. We have opportunities for West members and friends to connect virtually during the week, including support meetings and discussion groups. You can find the details for that and all other events on our website calendar at ethicalsociety.org. And finally, thank you for being here with us on this very special day. Let us enjoy together our closing song of the month performed by interim music coordinator, Leah Morris, accompanied by Aaron Hill. If we can learn what it means to really love ourselves, then we can learn to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And we can live in harmony, see ourselves as a family. This is my prayer for humanity. That we respect our women and protect our girls. That they feel safe in every corner of the world. That we can live in harmony, see ourselves as a family. This is my prayer for humanity. That every man will be a father to someone By loving every boy as if it were his only son That we could live in harmony See ourselves as a family This is my prayer For humanity That we know that nobody really wins a war And every leader knows what power is for That we can live in harmony See ourselves as a family This is my prayer For humanity Every man, woman, boy, and girl would feel these words all across the world. That every man, woman, boy, and girl 
We'll feel these words all across the world. That every man, woman, boy, and girl will feel these words all across the world. This is my prayer for humanity. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, finding imagination and resolve in this community for our hearts and our quest for a better world. Well, farewell all. I invite you to join us for virtual coffee hour. You can find the links on the slide um, or in the chat. It's tiny.cc slash West Coffee Hour. Um, if you want to reach out to Maceo, tiny.cc slash West Connects about what it means to be, you know, part of this community as a newcomer or exploring the path to membership. Your Alex sends his thanks to everyone who worked hard to make this platform experience possible. Yes, indeed. Thanks to all. It was indeed a, a, a wonderful morning to be able to be together um, and deal with these hard things in, in hopeful and imaginative ways, right? So keep that imagination stimulated um, and we will deal with greater imagination again next Sunday.